Amen. What a story of grace. And that's what we're talking about this morning, stories of grace. If you would open up to 1 Timothy chapter 1 this morning, uh, we're going to read about another person's story of grace and the amazingness of our God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12, and we're going to go through verse 17. Uh, The writer of this book uh, is the Apostle Paul. You've probably heard of him before, um, speaking to uh, a young uh, disciple of his named Timothy. And we're going to read uh, part of Paul's autobiography this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. If you're new or visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen behind me so that you can read along with us this, this morning. But I encourage you to see this as true, as living, and as relevant to your life this morning. Let's read it together. Paul says, I thank him who gave me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to a service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent of the gospel. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this morning and this time that you've given us, Lord. We get to breathe in deep your goodness and your grace. As we sang earlier, Lord, you you are a hurricane. Your love and your grace is a hurricane, and we're a small tree, Lord. And you blow down every insecurity, and you blow down every sin, and you blow down uh, every piece of brokenness in our lives, Lord. And you replace it with love and peace and grace and goodness. We trust you this morning, Lord. We say no to the lies of the world and the lies of Satan and the lies of those around us who say that we're not good enough to come to you and we trust you in your gospel. Speak over us this morning, Lord. For the people who are coming in here and for me, Lord, as broken people, I pray that you would just speak to us. Speak to us deeply and right into our hearts, Lord. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you here this morning again. If you don't know me, my name is James Yandel, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And um, if you don't know me that well, I grew up here in Houston, as many of us did. A lot of us don't move to Houston voluntarily. We, we grew up here, right? And I grew up here in Houston. And when I was growing up, I loved to read books. We got any readers in here? People who got some readers in here? I loved to read books when I was growing up. And my favorite afternoon when I was in middle school was to come home from school grab a book from the bookshelf, go climb up in a tree, and go read a book. Was this anyone else's childhood? I loved to do this, right? When you're a really skinny middle schooler and you got big glasses, that's what you learn to love to do, right? You love to read books, and that's what I loved. And I loved fiction, right? I loved fantasy novels. I loved Lord of the Rings. I loved Wheel of Time. I loved the Recluse series. I loved all these things because I loved adventure, I loved adventure, and I loved an epic storyline, and I loved this idea of a character who, who grows and who faces the odds and defeats the enemy. I used to love fiction back in the day. But eventually, as I got older, I grew up.
out of fiction and I started reading more self-help and more leadership books. You know, in my mind, I thought, I don't want to learn about a fictional world. I want to get really good at the world that I'm in. So I started reading a lot of self-help books. Maybe you've heard of these books, things like um, Habits of Highly Effective People, books like Leading with the Limp, just a lot of leadership books. Man, I want to get good at this life. So I started reading those kind of books. I left fiction behind. But recently, I started to get tired of leadership books. And if you've read any leadership books, you know that they all sort of say the same thing. They like stick to a schedule and you got to keep your vision and you got to make sure all this. And they all say the same thing. I'm like, why do we need another leadership book, right? No one needs to write any more leadership books. I'm telling you, we already got everything we got, right? So I'm tired of leadership books. So I've moved on to something new and exciting, and that's biographies. Has anyone read biographies before? I know I sound a little bit nerdy. Biographies are awesome. Like, I've never read biographies before in my life, and yet I've started reading a biography called The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt. Anyone heard this one? This is a thousand-page biography. I didn't know that when I checked it out from the library because I got it on the audio or on my uh, phone, and it's a thousand pages, and that's just for volume one. There's three volumes, right? So this is volume one, and I'm reading about Theodore Roosevelt, and it is fascinating. Like, I love biography because biographies are real, They're messy, they're authentic, they're someone's actual life. You see their failures, you see their struggles, you see their triumphs, you see their disappointments, you see them overcoming the odds and sometimes not overcoming the odds. I've been loving this biography, I'm about 20% into it, so I think about 200 pages. And Sarah will attest that it'll be the worst moment where I come up with a Theodore Roosevelt fact, right? We'll be watching TV, watching some show, and I'll be like, man, do you know that one time Theodore Roosevelt was riding out in the wilderness and he fell off his horse and landed in a cactus? I'm like, that is so fascinating, right? And then we'll be right before going to sleep. You know, we say, I love you, kiss each other, good night. And I'm like, man, did you know Theodore Roosevelt served in the New York House and Senate before he became president? That's just fascinating, right? It's so cool. I recommend it for you. Biographies are really cool, right? Biographies show us a little bit about someone's life. And in learning about their life, we learn about ourselves, This morning, we're going to get into someone's biography, and that's the Apostle Paul, the writer of this book to Timothy. I think if there's one thing that Paul's life is going to show us, it's about the triumph of grace. Paul's life is about the triumph of God's grace. I think oftentimes we underestimate grace, and yet when we look at Paul's life, we see someone who was obsessed with it. Obsessed with God's love, obsessed with God's acceptance, obsessed with God's forgiveness. If I wrote a biography about Paul, I was thinking, what would I name Paul's biography? If I wrote a biography about Paul, I would call it God Launches Wrecked Ships. God Launches Wrecked Ships. And if it had a subtitle, because every good book has a subtitle, it would be in all capital letters, Never Underestimate Grace. Turn to your neighbor and say, Never Underestimate Grace. And we, you know, we always have to do it twice because no one's excited the first time. Turn your never, never underestimate grace. That is Paul's story. If you know anything about Paul's story, and I'll go into it a little bit, but you know that Paul was someone who was on the wrong track. And there became this moment in his life where he became shipwrecked and God began to do something in his life. And then God launched him out into a new journey of grace and hope in the spreading of God's love. God launches wrecked ships. And I think that's hope for you and me this morning. Maybe you're coming in here this morning and you're feeling a little stalled out. 
You're feeling a little shipwrecked. You're feeling a little confused. If that's you this morning, there is hope. Paul shows us that there is hope. This biography we're going to look at of a real person shows us that there is hope. I don't think we do grace well as a society. I don't think society understands grace. I don't think they know anything about it. You know the phrase, America runs on Duncan. America does not run on grace, right? We don't understand grace. We rank people in our society by how much money they have. In our society, we give to people as they give to us. So if they're mean to us, we are mean to them. Our society doesn't understand grace. Grace, by definition, is unearned favor from God. And it's the flavor of the Christian life that God loves us simply because he loves us. Literally, that's what God says. I love you because I love you. This is grace in our lives. I was thinking, even uh, the other day we had to pay a a rent for our apartment. And um, we were actually a couple of days late. And a lot of times they'll give you a grace period, right? And, and you know, they say it's a grace period. But if you're one day out of the grace period, what do you have to do? You have to pay a fee, right? So we had to pay a $75 fee because we paid our rent late. That's not grace. This morning we are going to talk about true grace, where God pays for it himself. I think even we as Christians underestimate God's grace and the power it can have in our lives. We do it lip service. And the reason I know that is, is for two reasons. One, we don't, we, under, we don't understand grace because we hide our true selves from God and from each other. I think that we're afraid to be honest with God about where we're at and about who we are and about what we struggle with. And I think that's a sign that we don't understand grace and what it's for. Secondly, I think that we underestimate grace because we struggle with the concept of control. We want control over our life, and not only that, we want control over the people's lives around us, right? I want control over my spouse's life, or over my parents' life, or over my kids' life. And when they're doing something that I don't like, I don't show grace to them because I want control. I don't think we understand grace, even as a church. This morning, uh, we're in week three of our Send Me series, and the tagline for that series is, See What God Can Do Through You. This morning, I believe if we're going to be the sent people of God into this world, that we need to know and to understand deeply grace. I think grace has got to come around from something up here in our mind and get down into our hearts and into our our minds and into our, our words and into our actions. We must understand grace to be people of grace. And that's what I want us to do this morning. I don't want us just to be people who are saved by grace, but people who are changed by grace and sent by grace into the world. If you go back and look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is the passage we're going to be in this morning. And it's sort of an autobiography by the Apostle Paul. That's what 1 Timothy 1 is. Paul talks about his journey of grace and where he started and where he ended up when he wrote this book. And if you know anything about Paul, you know that he was born about the the time of Jesus, right? So as Jesus was being born in Bethlehem, Paul was being born in a different part of the Roman Empire. And as Jesus was on track to the cross... Paul was on a different journey. Paul grew up probably wealthy. We know that he was a wealthy person because his parents were Roman citizens. He said, I was born a Roman citizen. He didn't have to buy his Roman citizenship. And we know that he was also on track to become a Pharisee, a studier and learner of the Jewish law. 
And then we know that sometime, recorded in Acts chapter 6, that there was this moment in his life where his trajectory changed 180 degrees, where he came face to face with the Lord of grace. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. I want you to look back at verse 12 in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look what Paul says. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to a service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent of the gospel. This morning, if we're going to understand grace, I think the first thing that we have to understand is that grace helps you see yourself as you really are. Grace helps you see yourself as you really are. Paul said of himself, I was a blasphemer, right? Meaning I violently opposed God. Paul said, I was a blasphemer. He said, I was a persecutor of the church. And we know he was. It was recorded in the Bible. He hunted Christians down, dragged them out of their houses, beat them, and reproved people who killed them. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul says that he was an insolent opponent of Jesus and the gospel. And we know that's true because Acts says that he breathed out murderous threats to the apostles, to the followers of Christ. Paul had a firm understanding of who he was and who his brokenness and what his brokenness was about. This morning, grace shows us who we really are. I said that Paul had a shipwreck moment. And it's recorded in the book of Acts, this moment where he was on the road to Damascus and he was on his way to persecute Christians. And all of a sudden he gets knocked off his horse, a bright light shines, he he suddenly goes blind and he hears a voice from the heavens saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Talk about a crazy experience, right? Can you imagine being knocked off your horse, going blind and then hearing a voice from the heavens saying, why are you persecuting me? Talk about a shipwreck moment. Talk about a moment where everything that he had learned in his life, everything that he was about was about to be turned upside down. Can you imagine the panic in his mind as his companions had to take him by hand and lead him into the city until someone came and said, you've been persecuting God himself and you need to repent and change. What a shipwreck moment in his life. The Bible talks about a lot of other shipwreck moments. King David, we just sang a song earlier about confession and that comes from Psalm 51. King David, after he sinned with Bathsheba, had a shipwreck moment in his life where he confessed to God his own brokenness. One of Jesus' parables, the prodigal son is this guy who, who had a wealthy father and he demands his inheritance early and he goes off and he squanders it with, with reckless living and all this kind of stuff. He spends his very last dime. It said he was so hungry that he went to go work for some uh, shepherds and some herders and he said he longed to eat the food that the pigs ate. <laughs> Talk about a shipwreck moment, right? And it says that he came to himself. And said, how many of my father's hired servants eat food while I am starving? I think every one of us has shipwreck moments in our life. Where we become acutely aware of our own sin and of our own brokenness. And I think that's a good thing. I think that God desires us to come to him as we are. With no pretense, no pretext, no mask. Simply coming to him admitting who we are and receiving the grace that he offers to us. 
Grace frees you to admit things about yourself that you won't admit if you're trying to rely on yourself. Grace frees you to be vulnerable. As we move toward being a church of grace, I wonder if we can be more honest with each other about where we're at right now. You know, I was thinking of this, I was thinking this would be pretty comical. If you're in a small group, right, you're rounded up in a small group, and if you know anything about it, you go around, you say, how's your week? And people are like, oh, I had a rough work week, all that kind of stuff. What if it got around to someone and they said, man, I, I'm the chief of sinners, man. I just, the things I do, I don't want to do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things that I very do. I'm broken, I'm reckless. We'd probably scoot away from that person. But in reality, we should show grace, right? The Bible calls us to openness, to vulnerability before God. Paul was willing to admit that he was broken. And so what are we willing to admit about ourselves before God? And that's scary for us as Christians and even as people because when we open ourselves up to other people, a lot of times what we receive is judgment in return. Yet the whole story of Paul, the whole story of the Bible, the whole story of church and the gospel of everything as God accepts us as we are, that he receives us without judgment through the cross. I think we as humans, and even as Christians, we don't want to see ourselves as we really are. We craft narratives on social media. We craft narratives in our small groups. We craft narratives when people are asking how we're doing, and we're afraid to be open and afraid to be honest about where we're at. Yet I think God calls us away from that into transparency. You see, you can be transparent if you trust grace. You can be transparent if you trust the gospel of grace. If you truly believe that every one of your sins was taken away by Jesus on the cross, you are free to be open and honest about who you are. Paul recounted his story time after time after time again, and he was unashamed of it. He was unashamed of his past. He said, man, I've been through these things, and yet this is where God has taken me. I've come face to face with grace. Are we willing to do that this morning? Look at verse number 13, or verse 13. He says, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Second point this morning is this, grace is always outrageous and must always be defended. Grace is always outrageous and must always be defended. Grace is so countercultural to who we are that we constantly have to defend it in the church. Think about Paul, right? Think about Paul growing up as an adherent of Judaism. He would have learned over 600 laws plus all the traditions. And for him and for the Jews, being a follower of God means that you had to shape up and follow the law. That there were these hoops that you had to jump through in order to get to God. And then Jesus comes along, opens his home, opens his his arms to sinners and to uh, people. tax collectors and all these people and it's totally opposite of what the Jews had anticipated God would do. Grace is always scandalous. Grace is always scandalous even in Paul's day that the gospel came and said that Jesus Christ has taken our place on the cross therefore we are freely accepted freely loved and freely forgiven in the gospel. 
If you look in the Bible, I did this experiment the other day where I was trying to go through and I found out just how many times Paul defended grace. Go any book of the Bible, whether it's Ephesians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Paul is defending grace in the Bible. And so in the same way, may we be a church that defends grace. A church that accepts people exactly where they're at. A church that doesn't make people jump through hoops in order to come and fellowship with us, but instead accepts people and helps them along in their faith journey. I think we struggle with the concept of grace. Just the other day, I heard a Christian say how they struggled with the concept of free love. A free love given to us by God. And I think each of us struggles with that from time to time in our life. And yet this is what the Lord has given to us in the gospel. Grace is absurd. Grace is absurd because it's opposite to everything that we believe as humans. You know, I I was thinking about, um, I read this thing about Isaac Newton, and he was talking about laws of the universe and how for every reaction there's an equal and opposite reaction and how we and life operate that way in our society, right? If you don't pay your taxes, you go to jail. If you're mean to someone, they're mean to you back. And yet in the gospel, it's totally opposite. We give God brokenness, and he gives us restoration. We give God hate, and he gives us love. We give God our brokenness, and he gives us forgiveness. Let me tell you how absurd the security of grace is in your life. A few examples. For me personally, if this sermon bombs and none of you understands a word I'm saying, that's okay because I got grace. Amen? If you attend church twice a month, never go to a community group, as much as it may pain me as a pastor, it's okay because you got grace. If you struggle with gossip, alcohol, porn, whatever it is in your life, for the rest of your life, it's okay. You've got grace. And there's something in me, in my flesh, that when I say that, it kind of prickles up, and I'm like, man, I, but, but, but people might abuse that, right? P- people might abuse that. And yet God knew the risk of grace, and he still offers it to us. God knows the risk of us abusing this privilege that we have of grace in the gospel. And he says, I give it to you anyway. You can live a life totally free from all fear, all condemnation, because that which you did not earn, you don't have to maintain. If you didn't earn the love of God in the first place, then you don't have to maintain the love of God after that. It is freely given to us as a gift. That's what Ephesians says, that the gospel, the love of God, is a gift to us in the cross. Look at verse 16. He says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. My last point this morning is don't let grace die with you. Don't let grace die with you, even if it's okay if it does. See, if you look at Paul's life, he was someone who was radically changed by the gospel. He was someone who was radically changed by grace. And yet the rest of his life, he was obsessed with it. 
Paul went on at least three or four missionary journeys to places that he had never been to to share the love of Jesus Christ. Don't let grace die with you. Be a person of grace to those around you. Choose to let grace not only save you, but shape you and send you. Paul says that he had been given grace so that he could become an example to those around him. In the same way, you were shown grace so that you could become an example of those around you. And so that means a few things. And the first thing that means is that you can't use your past as an excuse not to follow God and follow where he leads, right? Because if your past is totally forgiven, you can't use that as an excuse not to serve God. In fact, God takes your past and he turns it into something new and he calls it a testimony. Amen? Your past becomes a testimony of God's grace in your life. And the worse your past, the more amazing the testimony because that's more amazing God's grace in your life. Your past is a testimony to be used to bring others into the hope and joy of the gospel. I love Monica, the, the video we watched earlier. I loved Monica's boldness and just going out there, being on the story team, sharing her story. This is what we need in our church. Stories of grace. Stories where God came through into our brokenness, changed us, and sent us out wherever he would lead us to go. A testimony unshared is a testimony wasted. This morning, here in a few moments, we're going to have baptisms. And I love baptisms because baptisms, baptisms are people getting up unashamedly and saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I admit my brokenness and I admit that I am freely loved in the gospel. This morning, I call you to be people of grace. Don't let grace die with you. If you're a new believer, it could mean something different for you. Or maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe for you this morning is to finally accept that God freely loves you exactly where you're at. Here at this church, we're not going to call you to jump through any hoops to come to God. Simply faith and the grace and power of the gospel. Maybe you're a new believer and, and you've sort of been changed by grace, but you haven't been sent by grace. This morning, I encourage and I call you to be a person of grace to the people around you. To step up and to serve in our church and be a part of what we're doing in our community. To make this church, this place, a place of grace in Oak Forest and Garden Oaks. A place where we, we don't judge, a place where we don't hold judgment, but where we accept people and allow God to transform them by His Spirit. And lastly, maybe you're a mature believer. And I've been thinking a lot about this. If you've been a believer for a while, maybe five, ten years, a lot of the newness of the gospel wears off. We think we know everything. We got the Bible pretty much down. We got church pretty much down. We come to community groups consistently, right? We, we got all that stuff down. I think we have something, a thing or two to learn about grace as well. I think we should come alongside those who are newer in the faith, be patient with them as Jesus was patient, and to walk them along on their journey of grace. May we be people of grace. As we draw to a close this morning, I want to share a quick story. Um, the other day, I woke up, and I turned to my wife, Sarah, and I said, I want to be exhilarated today. Like, literally, that's what I said. I said, I want to be exhilarated today. 
I, I don't care what that looks like. I, I just want to be exhilarated. And so what I did, I, I said, this is what we should do. We should hit up all the parks in Houston, right? We should hit up all the parks, and uh, maybe we could go to the downtown Houston tunnels, which actually exist. Those are pretty cool. I said, we should do this. She's like, okay, maybe we can do that. So I go off to work, and I come back, and she says, hey, I got a new plan for us. Pack your bags for a day trip. We're going somewhere tomorrow. I'm not a super spontaneous guy, but, you know, we're newlyweds, so it's good to listen to your wife. So I'm like, okay, we're going to do that. So I pack a bag, um, I, I put it together, and the next morning we, we drive off to Austin. And uh, it happened to be on the day where we had the ice apocalypse, and so we're, like, driving early in the morning, and there was, like, like ice on the windshield and all this stuff, and, like, literally the windshield wipers are making it worse, and we're driving to the airport early in the morning on that Tuesday. We park our car, and we get on a plane. Sarah's a flight attendant, and so apparently we get free flights, which is a really good perk. Um, to, you know. So we get on the plane, and we start flying. And we land in uh, Seattle, Washington. I've never been here before. I've always wanted to go, and I didn't know this is where we were going. And we land in Seattle, Washington. We get on the Amtrak. We, we go to the coast to Pike Place, if you know anything about that. We, we go there. And we're sitting on um, the coast as Houston is going through its apocalypse, and we're sitting in 50-degree weather in the sun. And she turns and she's like, are you exhilarated yet? I'm like, I'm very exhilarated. <laughs> and I bring that story up because I, I, I feel like Sarah and I had different definitions of exhilaration. I said, I want to be exhilarated. I'm going to go to some parks, right? She said, no, I'm going to show you exhilaration, and she takes me to Seattle. <laughs> I feel like in the same way, the reason I bring that up is I feel like we have an understanding of God's grace. And then God comes in and says, you have no idea what grace is. You have no idea how much you're forgiven. No idea how much you're loved. No idea how much you are saved and redeemed and restored in the gospel. I think it's a worthwhile pursuit for us to try to get to God's definition of grace, even more so, more and more in life. I pray that we'd be people of grace. And I pray that you would spend this week and more than this week, the rest of your life exploring how much God loves you and all that he's called you to be in the gospel. So as your pastor, I just want to pray over you at this time. And I'm going to pray specifically that each and every one of us in this room would have a very deep, personal sense of God's unconditional grace in our lives. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, unafraid to say that we are not perfect unafraid to say that I, I'm not a gracious person most of the time. Would I admit in front of all these people that I have sin in my life, that I have brokenness in my life, that I, that I struggle with being gracious and kind to the people around me? And yet this morning, Lord, like Paul, I trust in your simple gospel. We trust in you this morning, Lord. I pray for the people in this room. I pray if people have come in here, Lord, if someone's come in with baggage or with um, guilt over the sin in their life, Lord, 
that they would come face to face with grace this morning. I pray for those who have been walking in the faith for a while, Lord, and maybe they're exploring. uh, Maybe they think they know everything about the gospel and everything about grace, Lord. I pray that you would just floor them this morning with a new and better definition of grace for them. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.